0: Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which you have given us through the Holy Spirit, your word, which is true, your word, which is righteous, your word, which is holy. Help us to be transformed, renewed in our mind, transformed in our heart so that we praise you all the day long. Amen. When I was growing up, my family would often take a trip from our home in White Bear Lake to Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Manitowoc, Wisconsin is on the east side of Wisconsin, about 45 minutes southeast of Green Bay. Now, the trip from our home in White Bear Lake to Manitowoc was about five-plus hours. Now, if you have uh, counted the number of siblings I've had of various mentions throughout the years... I have five sisters. So there were six of us, six kids in the car, and we had one of those big station wagons, right? I know some of you probably grew up having station wagons like that, and there was a big back seat, and then in the very back seat belts in those days were not mandatory. So all the kids there. Now five plus hours for adult can be long. For kids, it's forever, isn't it? And so we would do various things to amuse ourselves. One of the games we would play would be the alphabet game. How many of you played the alphabet game? So you have to find words that begin with the letter of the alphabet. And obviously Q, Z, X were really hard. So we would play games like that, but after a while, it's still five plus hours. And we would get antsy. And so we would start to sing that song. It's up on the screen are we there yet? It was even made into a children's song. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I don't think you heard me say, are we there yet? One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war. It's a cute kid song. But we would sing that and we would get antsy, right? So why do I bring this up? It's because as Christians, we start off brand new and the trip is exciting and we're going along the way and we're reading our Bible and after a while, it seems to be getting kind of long. And we start to think, are we there yet? Especially when you start to read about the end times. Oh, yeah. You mentioned Bible prophecy and end times, and people are all aflutter about that. They get very involved in it. And they get antsy, are we there yet? And they start looking at when is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? What's happening now? Does that apply to what's happening? And you get people who are really ingrained in that. By one account, from 1900 to the year 1999, there were over 80 end-time prophecies. From 2000 until now, there have been at least 20 end-time prophecies that I'm aware of. One fellow I wasn't aware of until just recently, Ronald Wienland. Wieland, he predicted that the world would end in 2011, 2012, 2013. You think he would have stopped by then, right? 2018, and then June 9th of this year, 2019, he apparently had some misgivings that maybe he was off on that. And how many of you remember the mind calendar debacle, 2012, mind calendar, and so the world's going to end, right? This is a fascination that really grabs people, the end times, Bible prophecy. And you want to hear about infighting within denominations and cross denominations? Oh, my goodness. And, you know, I start to both inwardly and outwardly just sigh when people start fighting about, the exact date, how things are applying right now, because I think they've missed the point. I think they've missed the point. You see, in our scripture reading from today, Jesus is just days away from being crucified. So he is preparing his disciples. And I think the point is this, his words were to prepare, encourage and motivate us to live faithfully in the face of trials. That's what he was doing. He was encouraging, preparing, helping us to live faithfully so that we could endure to the end, so that we aren't led astray, and so that we can endure to the end in faith. That's what he was doing. So today, as we take a look at some of the end times, there are three main focus we're going to have here. It is to put your faith in our eternal Lord. Do not be led astray and then endure in faith to the end. So with that, and by the way, if you're visiting, you might've noticed we do have uh, sermon notes. You can follow along in that. So let's go to the first one. Put your faith in our eternal Lord. Matthew, chapter 24, starting with verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Because this event is recorded not only in Matthew, but Mark and Luke, we can do some Uh, cross-referencing, actually quite a bit of cross-referencing. One of the things that we find is that the disciples in Mark said this. They said, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Now, if you were in Jerusalem and you were at the temple, it is awe-inspiring. Even what is left over still inspires awe. But in the day when it was there, it was a magnificent building. And it's hard for you and I to actually comprehend the magnificence of the temple. So I looked at least for a modern-day comparison, and here's what I found. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. It took over 120 years to build. It is the largest single church in the world, and it holds magnificent works of art. Michelangelo's Pieta, the Soaring Dome, Michelangelo's Soaring Dome, and also Bernini's 95-foot-high canopy over the Pope, where the Pope sits. I mean, these are inspiring, right? You can take a look at these works of arts and this this magnificent building, and it's as if you were on a tour with Jesus, and you're in the Basilica, and you say, isn't this magnificent? And Jesus says... Yeah, all of this is going to be gone. It's going to be destroyed to rubble. I mean, that would be quite a shock, wouldn't it? It would be quite a shock. What Jesus is saying here is that nothing that man has ever built will last. There's nothing permanent here on earth. A couple of weeks ago, talked about Ecclesiastes, and behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind. See, you and I get very enamored of a lot of the things that we have here on earth and how wonderful this is and we collect a lot of stuff and yet none of it's of eternal significance. I mean, even our lives, if you take a look, if you could do a spectrum of eternity, your life actually wouldn't even be a speck on that spectrum we get so enamored of what's here and now. You see, Jesus, again and again, when you take a look at Scripture, he was talking about the eternal significance. And he was talking about his eternal nature, about life everlasting. At the grave side of Lazarus, do you remember? He was talking with Martha, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die yet shall he live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die that's the eternal significance that jesus was speaking of now did the disciples get that no not really do we really get that probably not and and you want to know why cuz we want to know are we there yet Are we there yet? This is what the disciples said. So going on in our scripture reading, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will all these things be? And what will be the sign of the coming of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. Now, the Mount of Olives was just east of Jerusalem. It was a mountainous ridge just east of Jerusalem, and it was called the Mount of Olives because there were a lot of olive trees. So there it was. And this is where Jesus would often stay, and he would teach his disciples. This is called the Olivet Discourse, part of the Olivet Discourse, teaching on the Mount of Olives. From Mark's gospel, we find that the disciples came up to him were Peter, James and John and Andrew, right? The pillars, they were the ones who finally got up the courage. You could kind of see him kind of go, you ask him, you ask. No, I don't want to, you ask. Okay. So they finally got up to Jesus and said, all right, so when's this going to happen? How are we going to know what's going to take place? Give us some details, Jesus. And I want you to note that as we go through here, Jesus never says the exact date, does he? He never gives us a full when. He fills in some of the what's going to happen, maybe even some of the how, but never the when. The main message that he gives them, that he starts off this whole thing is, do not be led astray. He says, see that no one leads you astray. Or another way to say this is be careful that no one misleads you or deceives you into error. That's the first and the main warning that he gives. And by the way, when people do biblical prophecy, they often skip this part because they want to get to the good stuff. But this is how he prefaces everything here. So if you take a look at a dictionary, one definition is of being led astray away from that which is right into error, confusion, or undesirable action or thought. I thought that was a pretty good definition. Away from that which is right into error, confusion, or undesirable action or thought. I mean, you know people in normal day-to-day life who are being led astray, and they are going down certain paths that you know will lead them into destruction. On a really basic level, you also know this because Each year, how many stories do we hear about people who have been wandering in the desert and they decided to go off on a different path and they get into very physical danger or sometimes they even die from that. Jesus, when he's talking about being led astray, he's giving them a warning, not necessarily because of physical danger, although there is that, but of the spiritual danger involved in this. And this is why the first warning he gives them is about the false Christ. He says, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Later on in the discourse, by the way, past our reading, verse 24, uh, verse 23 and 24, that if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Now remember, by the way, doesn't that picture freak you out a little bit? It's a little disconcerting because it looks like a sheep at first glance, but then you stare at that face, and after a while you know that's not a sheep. That's a wolf in sheep's clothing. They look... Look, false Christs, false prophets often look and sound very much like the sheep. But Jesus says, you've got you to be on your guard here because the path they're going to lead to has eternal significance. The first thing he says, don't be led astray and then watch out for false Christ. Now, I have warned you about false Christ since I've been here. And we've talked about the Mormons. The Mormons believe, one, that Jesus is a created being. He was never eternal. He was a created being, and that he is the spiritual brother of Satan. I've also mentioned Jehovah's Witnesses, who also say that Jesus is a created being. He's not eternal. He is created, and he is not the Savior. He's really Michael the Archangel. A couple months ago, I mentioned Reverend Sung Young Moon, who set the Moonies who said that he actually was the Christ. Now, a lot of false Christ, but there's a lot of false prophets or preachers or teachers teaching about a Christ that's not biblical. And for that, I would encourage everybody on the back of your sermon notes, there's a whole chart that I gave you. Biblical Jesus Versus the modern-day Jesus. Biblical Jesus, born as God Almighty in the flesh. O come, O come, Emmanuel, right? God with us. Modern-day Jesus, Jesus was just a good teacher, uh, born as a man, and then the disciples promoted him to deity. I'm not going to go through everything here on the list, but I would encourage you are, do you know the biblical Jesus versus the false teaching, the modern-day teaching of Jesus? The modern-day teaching of Jesus, by the way, doesn't ask anything of you, doesn't say that anything is sin. Everybody just goes to heaven automatically. All of these are nice, but they aren't biblical. If you see or hear a teacher who's teaching something different, can you see that they're a wolf in sheep's clothing? And the only way you can do that is to know Scripture. Look, the disciples, after Jesus had been ascended into heaven, the disciples, the apostles, had to deal with this again and again. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 13, "'For such men are false apostles.'" deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Again and again, we have to hold up the teaching of false Christ, false prophets, false teachers against what Jesus said. Jesus said, by the way, heaven and earth will pass away, but what will not pass away? His words. His words will never pass away. So what we have in scripture never passes away. So that's first and foremost, Foremost, be aware of false Christ because it has eternal significance. Then he also talked about birth pains. So I'm going to start with verse 4 here. And Jesus answered them, saying, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Verse 6 now. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So this is what Jesus is warning them about. So when you take a look at this, you see the warnings, false Christ, we've talked about that. Then rumors of war, nations rising against nations, famines, earthquakes, deliver saints to death. Now, two things about this. One, was Jesus just talking about what was going to happen in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed? Was that the prophecy he was giving, or was it something else? Was it about also the end times and ultimately his second coming? When the answer is yes, I believe it is both. Because when you take a look at prophecies, prophecies also have a near future or can have a near future effect and a distant future effect. So I think this applies to the temple, and I also think firmly that applies to the second coming. So why do I say that? Revelation chapter 6. So if you were here this summer, and you were here for part of A Glimpse of Him, when we did Revelation chapter 4 and then 5, Chapter 4 was about the throne of God. Chapter 5 was about the Lamb of God. And do you remember what the Lamb of God received from the Father? It was a scroll, God's will and judgment on creation. And it was only the Lamb of God who is worthy to unseal the seals of the scroll, to break them open. And in chapter 6, that's what happens. So what was the opening of each seal? Well, the first seal is actually the hardest to discern. There's a lot of conversation. Is the Antichrist? It is, is it Jesus himself or the other? I mean, some people have also said it's a military general. Some people, it's the word of God as the gospel. I've listened, I've read all of the different arguments. They go in depth. They actually get hard to discern. If I were going to lean one way, because of the nature of the seals and what's going on, I would say that it was actually the Antichrist that is coming. That's the hardest one. The others are actually pretty simple. The next one is war. The second seal is a bright red horse, that's the horse of war. The th- third seal is a black horse. And the black horse, the rider has scales on it, talks about measuring out grain, and the grain that you could get a quart of wheat would be worth a full day's wage. This would have you starve. So this is famine. The next seal, pale horse, the pale is death. The next seal, the fifth seal, are the faithful that have been slain, the saints... And the sixth seal, then, are earthquakes. That's what chapter 6 of Revelation says. So let's compare the two. If you take a look at that, you see the combination of what Jesus says in Matthew 24, and then what is spoken of in Revelation chapter 6. And they don't all line up in actual order, but everything's there, right? So this is why I believe that Jesus was not only giving the prophecy of what was going to happen in 70 A.D., but also of the end times of his second coming. And there is no question about it. But he says that's the beginning of the birth pains. Look, all of the women here who have given birth, you know that sometimes there are false labor contractions. You kind of go, this is it? No. And then you wait. But, but you know that it's going to come, right? I speak this very gently as a man, just talking about the woman's experience here. But you know that's going to happen. And yet, also, when the actual contractions start, you still don't know the actual date, the specific hour, minute of delivery, but you know that it is imminent. So Jesus says, these are things to look for. You still aren't going to know the exact hour, but it is imminent. And you know what? When you take a look at stuff that's going on in the world, things that are happening, it's really easy to get alarmed, isn't it? I mean, it is. It's easy to get alarmed. And Jesus is saying, really, the only way you can carry through on this is to have the eternal significance of who I am. On Christ the solid rock I stand, right? We're going to actually sing that at the very end, the closing song. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. You and I, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, must continue to stand on Christ Jesus, the solid rock. Otherwise, we will fall away. So put your hope in our eternal Lord. Do not be led astray and endure in faith to the end. Verse 10, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. So when we talk about falling away, this is not just a stumbling away. This is not just an occasional Uh, lapse. This is a true falling away from faith. There was one pastor who said, you know what, I'm going to live for a year like an atheist. He said that. I'm going to live like an atheist. Do you know what happened at the end of the year? He was an atheist. He had rejected his faith to say, hey, let's try it out. Well no surprise that he had left the faith but I think it had already been starting because it's foolishness to be led astray that way so what is falling away here falling away is an outright rejection of Jesus and his gospel it is rejection of the grace of salvation that is given to you in the by the gift of God it doesn't start immediately for some people often for some people it's just a little thing that happened. Somebody said something at church, so I started to stop going to church. And then I noticed I was still alive. And then I noticed that I really didn't have to read the Bible, that I really didn't have to feed faith, and I was, uh, keep my faith, and I was still alive. And this is downward spiral and becomes a calloused and calloused heart. Do you remember we talked about conflict a number of weeks ago? This downward spiral, same thing. It's a downward spiral of unbelief. And so Jesus is encouraging, right, his disciples to endure in faith to the end. Paul also did that. Paul to Timothy, First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, or, um, verse 12, 12. actually I've got Hebrews on there. All right, we'll do Hebrews. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end you and I are called to encourage one another day in and day out so that we can endure to the end. It says, but the one who endures will be saved. Along with making sure that we are not led astray, endurance. Endurance is one of the main messages you find over and over again to the disciples, to anyone who's following Jesus. Endurance is the ability to persevere in a task or calling. And Christians are to endure in the face of trial or opposition. I love this particular picture, by the way, because it is not a solo climb, is it? There is somebody there who is helping you. Just as I have people who help me and I help others, we are called to help each other, to encourage each other as long as it is called today to endure in our faith and to be able to endure in the face of those difficulties. We need somebody else. We need the church to encourage one another. The promise of this endurance of faith to the end, not that we claim it ourselves, but that we receive fully this gift of salvation. James chapter uh, chapter one, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Endurance in faith is not for our wealth or prosperity here on earth. Remember, that's all temporary. It's all going to be gone. But endurance in faith is for the promise of eternal life with Christ Jesus. So we continue to put our hope in the one who is eternal. Don't be led astray. Endure. Endure in faith to the end. So I like how one person put it here kind of summing up this section. He said, be ready at all times. Do not let your guard, let down your guard. Keep doing the work of the kingdom, preaching the gospel throughout the world. Do not become obsessed with the future, but invest yourself in the present in order to be prepared when the future arrives and you stand before the king. I love that last part, that you stand before the king. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is the eternal life with him and that you stand before Jesus, our Lord, our King, our Savior. So as you think about the end times or if you get a little antsy and have that song, Are We There Yet? running through your head and you want to start to decipher how, when, what, where. Focus on not being led astray of being in Christ's solid rock and being ready to stand before the King, continually doing the work of the kingdom. And for this, we thank Jesus and his words. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com.